You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thanks, guys. My apologies. I am not Pastor Brad, but uh, he did invite me to uh, stand in for him today. Uh, He knows I'm an old retired minister, and he thinks I might have just one more left in me, so we'll see. Actually, I was a little bit disappointed when he asked me, because I thought y'all had standards. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, we go an hour and 15 minutes, is that right? It's, okay, Are you give me a th- I got a full charge on my iPad, and I'm ready to go. Actually, um, you know, I do have a day job. I'm a professor, and it's my job day after day after day to take five minutes worth of content and spread it out over 50 minutes. That's what I do all day long, day after day after day. But uh, so, you know, I learned from Sean Cross last year when he was summer that uh, Brad believes in free speech and he might get what he's paying for today. I guarantee it. Today is December the 1st, 2019. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Also, it's the very first Sunday of the liturgical year. Uh, Grace is a free church, and it's not bound by the liturgical year, but many churches across the world observe the passing of the liturgical year. We, as a free church, can observe as much or as little as we want to. Advent is a a great season to observe, but you should be aware of the seasons of the Christian calendar. Uh, First, there is Advent, and there they are in the order. This is the start of the Christian year, the first Sunday in Advent, Christmas, Follows that, which is observed for 12 days, and the Epiphany. Uh, Lent is the preparation for uh, Easter and the Holy Week, and then Holy Week is an almost day-by-day reenactment of the last week of Jesus' last earthly ministry here among us. Easter, and of course the resurrection, followed by Pentecost, and the longest uh, season of the year is Kingdom Tide. And if you examine the calendar, you're going to see a focal point, kind of a fulcrum in that uh, Christian year. Half the Christian year observes Christ and his work and his ministry on earth. And then following Pentecost, we see that the emphasis focuses on the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ministry of Christ and then ministry of the church with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this has been observed in calibration for 2,019 years. For hundreds of years, Christians have celebrated these seasons because it's a very dramatic way to convey God's revelation to his people. That is, there's hope for the nations through Jesus Christ. The Christian calendar has been marked 2019, as noted by the abbreviation AD. Now, AD uh, is the Latin abbreviation for Anno Domini which means translated, the year of our Lord, and usually you'll see it with not only the uh, Latin abbreviation, but also uh, the Roman numerals. And I wanted to really impress you this morning, so I went ahead and put up the Roman numerals so that you could know that those two years of Latin I had were not ill-spent. But the word Advent uh, means, in Latin, toward the coming. So it's we're looking toward the coming of the birth of Jesus. It's this time of uh, preparation. So Advent is replete with hope. God came among us as a baby. He lived among us. We beheld his flesh. We saw his glory. He spoke to us. He called us directly through his son, and God provided us a way to know him in a very personal way. He gave us a hope 
for eternal life. Now, I'm going to give you a little sidebar about that abbreviation AD. The term AD has almost been eradicated from modern scholarship. Modern scholars do not use the term AD anymore to refer to dates. Generally, they'll use the term CE, which means common era. So they don't actually measure years anymore in this realm of scholarship in terms of the birth of Christ. They count times in terms of the year zero, but they would not refer. And the, uh, the BC correlate is BCE, which means before common era. Now, I recognize the usage of CE and BCE, but you know what? AD is just fine with me. I'm going to continue to count time in terms of the year of our Lord, 2019 and 2020, and if Christ carries again, 2021, and the liturgical year just keeps repeating and repeating. It relates to Christ in these four Sundays. This is the Advent Sunday of hope as we prepare for the birth of Christ in the fullness of time. And during this Advent season of hope, we have readings of hope and prophecy from the Old Testament. And I say prophecy. You know, uh, there are people before Christ that waited for hundreds of years in anticipation of the birth of the Messiah. And we get aggravated if we have to wait for seven minutes for the waitress to come. Think about that. God is always sure with his promises, but he is also the keeper of the chronos and the kairos of time. This is a time in which we read these Old Testament prophecies, and they were delivered in many occasions hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, and Malachi is no exception. Prophecies from Isaiah, readings from the Psalms, Micah, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, and this morning we're going to be examining Malachi. So as we practice together, let's join together in the reading of God's word as we stand and consider Malachi chapter 1, verse 1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declared the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? 
Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offerings from your hand. My name will be great among the nations. For where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And please have a seat. Harsh words of judgment. Where's the hope in this? Well, hang on, we're coming to it. But we got to take care of some business first. Who was this guy named Malachi? Uh, the word Malachi is just a simple Hebrew word that means messenger. Uh, even though we name people Malachi now, at the time it was kind of his handle or uh, his street name. We don't know his real name. Did y'all have a street name? A handle? <laughs> Yeah, I had one back in high school. But uh, that was not my real name. It's just what everybody called me. But they knew my real name. But Malachi, when we see it, is translated as messenger. Uh, the dates are from 462 to 430 uh, B.C. And it's, a biblical, uh, it's at the very end or the close of what we would call the biblical prophecy. Uh, we don't know much about the man, but we do know a lot about the historical content. First of all, we know that it was after 515 B.C. because after the exile, they returned, they restored the temple. And when Malachi was prophesying, he knew that the sacrificial order to the temple had been restored. Also, too, we know that the world was under Persian rule. Now, the Persians were pretty good at ruling. And this was one of the rare occasions, very rare occasions, there was national peace and prosperity in the land of Israel. Think about that. Very seldom in the, in the history was there a halt in conflict. They had enlightened leaders. There was a great economy. They had unhindered trade throughout the Middle East. Jerusalem was at the crossroads of the Middle East and enjoyed all this world trade. No major wars, the Persians saw to that. No major conflicts, the people were at ease. And in the midst of all this, according to Malachi, what was the spiritual state of Israel? Did they render true sacrifice to the very God of their blessings? And the author of their redemption? Not according to Malachi. Let's fast forward to 19th century Europe. The Victorian age in England. This was the time between the Napoleonic Wars and World War I. This was a rare, very rare occasion of European peace. They had enlightened leaders. The sun never set on the British Empire. They ruled almost with the same efficiency the Persians did, as a matter of fact. Great economy, no major wars, no major conflicts. The people were at ease. We had the Industrial Revolution. People had leisure time. Power and wealth had shifted from the aristocracy and the monarchies, and it was now in the hands of the bourgeois, the middle class. People had time to spend money on patronage, great concerts, great music, great theater, great literature. 
But what was the spiritual state of Europe during this time? Did they flock to the churches to praise God for the blessings that they had received? Let's fast forward to present day. United States of America. Great economy. Record highs in the stock market. 401ks are up. Record unemployment. Material wealth abounds. Enlightened leaders. Now, I, uh, air quotes, y'all understand air quotes. Okay. Uh, apart from Christ Jesus, no one is really enlightened. And that's, that's kind of my bias. Artificial intelligence, automation, leisure time, dishwashers, <laughs> garbage disposals, I don't know, Roomba vacuum cleaners, is that still a thing? What a great time to live. People are at ease, yet does our society honor God, and do we acknowledge the giver of all these great blessings? Here's my point. Was Malachi day any different than the Victorian age or contemporary United States? People were safe. They were prosperous. They were self-reliant. They were self-satisfied. And yet, where was the founder of all these great blessings in their minds? And to whom was the book of Malachi really written? Was it written to 5th century B.C. Israel? Was it written to 19th century Europe? Was it written to our modern day? in the United States? Was it written to a nation or nations? Or maybe even us as individuals? Well, the answer is yes, 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 and yes, and yes, yes, and yes, Malachi has a bone to pick with Israel. Verse 1, a prophecy, the word of the Lord. Some translations say burden. Uh, this is not pleasant news. This is a heavy message. It's a hard message. It's an unpleasant message. This job for Malachi is a burden. The people are living in unrepentant sin, and sin, according to Malachi, has its consequences. In verse 2 and 3, the Lord declares it straightforward. I loved you. But the people ask, uh, but how have you loved us? This is kind of a, a form of exchange of questions. It's kind of the Socratic form. According to uh, the Socratic form, we have the truth within us. We just need somebody to ask us the questions to bring the truth out of us. So Malachi is engaging in a series of questions to bring the people to truth so that their own answers will actually convict them. People say, how have you loved us? And God said, well, what about Jacob? Well, there you go. You're bringing up the past. Don't you hate it when people bring up the past? Reminds me about the old man who was complaining about his wife because she had this really, really bad memory problem. She didn't forget a thing. <laughs> and she'd bring it up. If it happened 10 years or 20 years ago, she'd bring it up. So let's remember... How did Jacob fare? How did God treat Jacob? How did Esau fare? Well, basically, Malachi is referring back to the Babylonian exile. 586 B.C., the Babylonians came down from the north, and they just 
totally demolished Jerusalem and some of the surrounding countries, including Edom, where uh, Esau dwelt, carried the best of the best in exile back to Babylon. But how did history demonstrate Jacob's, uh, God's love for Jacob? Well, all the Old Testament basically is a testament to God's love for Israel and his fulfillment of his promise to Abraham. Remember, Jacob had a memory problem. And he forgot. Fortunately for Jacob, God is remembering his promise to Abraham. So we're going to find out in verses 4 and 5, how did the land of Esau fare? Well, they built, but God demolished. He says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked land of people always under the wrath of God. So we know that according to the prophet Obadiah, the people of Esau were looted and robbed by the Babylonians, and they were not restored. But Jacob, on the other hand, fared pretty well. They were redeemed, they were returned, they were restored, and then they forgot. God was very merciful to Jacob. God's going to recall the true honor and respect that's due not only to him as God, but also earthly relationships in verses 6 and 7. He says, a son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due to me? Malachi brings the charge. The charge is contempt for God. We honor our parents. We honor our master, our employers. God is both father and master, yet the people disrespect him. How? Well, God provides the answer. He says, by defiled food at his table. How we defiled your food, they ask. Well, he gives us the answer in verse 8. Second rate, defective offering. Now, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 22, verse 20 for just a minute. This was Moses' command to the people. Do not bring anything with defect, because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow, or as a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, the maimed, or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place on any of these on the altar as food offering presented to the Lord. Wow. Second-rate offering to God Almighty. That's the charge. What if the governor were coming to your house? Do you think last Saturday night's leftovers would be good enough? Or would you go down to Food Lion, put together a list, start shopping, get out the best china? Back in Western North Carolina, we'd say throw out the dog. You know, make the dog get off the furniture and get out. You know, the governor's coming. How much more would we do beyond the governor if we knew it was King Jesus coming? I knew a, a, an older lady one time whose freezer 
went out. And she was very concerned that she was going to lose all this food due to the thaw. So she made a mad scramble to replace this freezer very quickly so that she wouldn't lose any of this food. And the guys that delivered the freezer helped her transfer some of these frozen items into the new freezer. And one of the delivery men noted that the turkey that was at the bottom of the freezer was 10 years out of date. Anybody got anything, a freezer like that? Well, she was hesitant to keep that turkey because she was afraid that it might not be consumable. So her, her solution was, well, I'll just donate it to the church, and that way they can use it for their Thanksgiving dinner. And this made quite an impression on me. Would I give an outdated turkey to God? Would I give a second-hand yard sale? yard sale item and bring it before him? Would I give him that re-gift from last Christmas that I didn't want and was probably going to throw away anyway? Oh, God has an answer for that. Verse 9. Oh, that one of you would just shut the doors and go away. Why would you think that God would accept that yard sale item, that second-hand re-gift, that decade-old turkey? Might as well just lock the doors and go home. But in verse 11, there's hope. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. And every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Now I want you to notice the dramatic shift from the present tense, the interrogative, the indicative, and the imperative to the future tense. My name will be great among the nations. Who are the nations? Look around. I'm not of Jacob. The promise was not really made to me as a physical descendant of Abraham. The promise was made to us, those who are descendants, are descendants by the faith of Abraham. So we have this future promise, and this is what Advent is about. It's about this future hope that we have. God's name will soon be established forever, and the prophecy will be fulfilled through this baby, Jesus. So this is where the hope is in this message. Now, I had an old professor in seminary uh, who called this word hope. It was one, what he called one of his big little words. And I had a short list of what he would call big little words. Like hope was on the top of the list. Faith, love, joy, peace. These were, he, he, they're little bitty words in English and Greek. But anytime we came across one of these words, you might as well put down your pen because we're going to quit translating. He's going to give a sermon. Some of the best sermons I heard actually were off-the-cuff sermons at a Greek class. In the midst of translating, you could quit taking notes because there was a great sermon to follow. He would often say that the world has one definition for hope, but God has a higher meaning for this word hope. So the world uses it one way, but when God promises hope, it's a very different meaning. You know, I say... I hope it doesn't rain today. Is that what God means? 
I, I hope the Steelers win. I hope for the girl of my dream. Got it, but it's good. Oh, ladies, I hope for the boy of my dreams, okay? I hope I get a promotion. I hope for a million dollars. This is how the world uses the word hope. It's defined as a, a word, uh, by the world to be a desire or a fulfillment of a wish, whether it's probable or improbable. If you can uh, substitute the word hope for wish, then it's the world's definition of hope. I'm not going to say, I have a wish that Jesus Christ will come again. I have a hope. So when I say we have hope in Christ, I said that we have a sure and certain eternal salvation through Christ Jesus that the world did not give and the world cannot take away. And apart from Christ Jesus, what hope does the world have? Is the world counting on material wealth? Is the world counting on personalities and leaders? Is the world counting on home security systems? Is the world counting on great health coverage? Do these things bring the hope of everlasting eternity? But what hope does the Christian have? There's good news. His name will be great among the nations, not just for Jacob, but also you and me. Advent reminds us that God became a man. God walked among us. God showed us his love. God sacrificed his son for our sins. And this was a sacrifice not needing to be repeated over and over like Malachi was talking about. This was the perfect lamb of God. He sacrificed his sons once and all for our sins. God rose from the dead. And through faith, we have the hope that we will share his glory. This is our message of hope, and it's the message of Advent. So how do we respond to so great a salvation? The altar of the temple is no longer available. Rather, Christ Jesus invites us to come to his own table. Not as a sacrificed animal, but as a living sacrifice, as Paul says. Christ Jesus wants us to be alive, to be his hands, his feet, to do the work of his ministry empowered by his Holy Spirit. God no longer accepts temple sacrifice for atonement, but the perfect Lamb of God has paid the debt. Is it still possible to dishonor God at this table? As we approach the Lord's table today, we should consider, first of all, our material blessings, our time, our energy, our talents. Do we give our best to our Father and our Master? And in thanksgiving, <coughs> let's dedicate our best. Let's join together in prayer. And Lord, we do thank you for this time as we come together as your family to share in your table, to remember the sacrifice that you gave on Calvary. Lord, we pray that we would use this opportunity to examine ourselves, that we might give our best to you. 
Heavenly Father, we pray that we would remember the lesson of history. You were always faithful to Jacob. And your name has become great among the nations. And these things we pray in the name of Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.